You know, hopefully you guys, as you, especially if you're visiting or, 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 or maybe you're, you're a, from an international student and you're trying to understand what worship is, but if you would listen to these hymns, some unbelievable poetry that really teaches us a lot about who God is. So, anyhow. If you are visiting today, we're glad that you're here. I met a number of international students coming in. I met a lot of new people coming in the door. And we're glad that you're here. Today, uh, we are going to hear the words of Jesus for the first time. Now, if you are visiting, what we have done the last two weeks is we started the book of Mark. And actually, it's, it's the gospel of Mark. It, it is the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not the biography of Jesus. But there are four gospels. And they're gospels that tell us the good news about what God has done 2,000 years ago, that before Christ came, everything was under the old covenant. And they promised that the curse would be reversed. And if you're, if you're not a believer, you've got, you've got to admit that Sometimes the world seems cursed. And things don't seem to be as they should be in my family and in my community and in the country that I'm from. But 2,000 years ago, the good news is this, that Almighty God sent His Son, born of a virgin, to come into this world to change all things and make them new. And so Mark tells us there's the beginning of the gospel of God uh, through Jesus Christ. What we're going to see as we go through Mark, though, that if you hear his voice, if you hear him, the call of God, the call of Christ, to see what he's done and to submit to him, then there will be a response from us as believers. We we as believers, we've been purchased by the blood of God, according to Peter. And that should begin to to, to overtake us, the kingdom of God, that Christ has come into you by the Holy Spirit and he's moving in and through you and out, out of you into the world to transform this world. And I'll say one last thing. And I know I've said this before. But imagine uh, no Jesus Christ ever came. No gospel ever came. Imagine the last 2,000 years without Christianity. Well, that's what a lot of people live with. And, uh, but, but we've heard the gospel and we're to minister the gospel. So if you're here today... And you've never uh, heard the gospel, we pray that you hear it today. So turn with me uh, to our text today. It is in the first chapter of Mark, verse 14 through 20. Now the reason we print it out is because we believe this is the word of God. And so I would like for you to use your imagination, even if you don't believe it's the word of God, and look at these scriptures as God's word and see what we learn from Jesus Christ today. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in the moments we have before we come to the Lord's table, we ask that you would open up your word to us, that we would hear the gospel. Lord, we confess to you that we don't have ears to hear and we don't have eyes to see and I do not have a tongue to speak, no matter how eloquent I might be. So Lord, uh, bless us both, the preacher and the hearer, that we might hear the gospel, to know what real repentance is and to know what real faith in Christ is and believe. And we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, a lot of you visit Redeemer, and for some of you, as you come to worship on Sunday morning, this is a little bit different, right? We, we do a, a lot of confessions, confessions of faith, confessions of sin. And uh, some people go, wow, that's very liturgical. But really, what we're doing uh, in, in our service is kind of this uh, dialogue with God. It's a, it's a corporate worship together. It's not just the preacher preaching to you and you take advice and you go out the door. No, it's something that we're doing together, right? We're confessing. If you're a Christian, when you confess our faith, we're confessing it to those who are here that are not believers. But one of the things we do every Sunday, right, is the Lord's Prayer. And the reason they call it the Lord's Prayer is because it was the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Apparently, they, they're watching Jesus Christ. They're learning who he is, and they see this incredible power of his preaching and his teaching and his healing. But they also saw him pull away and often get up early in the morning and to pray. And so they put those two things together. He's, he, is with, he is with God, and there's power that's there. So, Lord Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And so... We have this wonderful pattern of how we should pray, right? And, and, and actually, I think that Jesus himself used this outline. If you have a hard time praying sometimes and your mind's wondering, just go back to the Lord's Prayer and you'll see that it's laid out. Now, if you notice, when I, the, the title of the sermon, I hopefully you read them. I, I think about them a lot, so please read them. And go, I wonder what he's going to talk about today. Well, the reason I titled it as I did, our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, is because that's often how I pray. How about you? I'm often quick, uh, quick to pray, uh, Father, give me this day my daily bread. And another way of putting it would be, Lord, I need you to meet my needs. I- I'm worried about my bills. I'm fearful. I, I am worried about my... My, my family, I'm worried about sometimes my health, I'm worried about the health of the church. Uh, Lord, I'm very worried about these things. And I can get in the car, I can immediately jump over to the fourth petition. But the fact of the matter is, if you get this prayer out of order, then that really means your life is out of order. Right? That's how you're ordering your life, is God help me. I found myself in a mess again versus the discipline of saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How often have I had people tell me, you know, when I get this situation squared out uh, away in my life, then I'll be more involved in the kingdom of God. 
when I, when I deal with a sin in my life and I feel like I'm overcoming my weakness, then I'll be involved in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of men who are here today say, hey man, when I get my, my career in order and things are kind of uh, settled down a little bit and I got my kids to bed and whatever it might be, I might be able to come out to spend time with the other men and do prayer meeting. But basically what we're saying is this. My kingdom come first, then yours later, right? Now, the reason it's that way in many ways is because we don't understand what our text is telling us. But before we come to our text, I want to give you an example of, of somebody who was my best friend. One of my best friends in college. A, a friend who, uh, he's, still, he's still a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, last week I told you about another friend. So I'm going to tell you about this friend. But this friend of mine was on my freshman hall. And, and it was my second year being a, a believer. I had just come to faith in Christ about a year and a half earlier. And I was very excited. I mean, uh, the gospel's proving true to me. But you know how it is. After you become a Christian for a while, then it gets hard, doesn't it? And it's not so easy. And you really want to change. You really want to be a different guy. I don't want to be like the jerk I am. And you guess what you discover? You're still not the man that you need to be or the woman that you need to be. And then all of a sudden there might be some physical elements that come in. Or, or the, you know, you didn't get the class or, or you didn't get the grade. And all these things are coming in. And all of a sudden I went from, from very excited about the gospel to where I wish I had never become a Christian. I know that might sound odd to some of y'all. Because I'm faced with the reality that I'm not the man I need to be. And I should be responding to this gospel. So I came in one, uh, one night late. I think I was on a date. That might have been part of my problem. I have no idea. But. So I come in, and I'm very discouraged. And kind of can't deny the faith because I know the faith is true. I know Christ is risen. I know that, but you, you know the tension is there. And I never forget he told me that he had just read Psalm 42. So he opened up Psalm 42. And, of course, you know Psalm 42. Is the deer, it's David crying out to God. Is the deer pants after the water brooks? So my soul pants after you. And then in verse 5 he says, You know, why, why my soul are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I learned right there at about 19 years old that I don't know where he is right now, but I know this, he'll be faithful. And I've discovered that over and over and over again. Now, the reason I tell you that is because my friend, his goal in college as a Christian was to be a millionaire by the time he was 40 years, 40 years old. And the reason that he wanted to be a millionaire was so that he would have more time when he's 40 to do full-time work for the Lord. He could do mission trips. He could start a Habitat for Humanity. He thought about maybe starting a Bible study with college students uh, near Furman University and just have hundreds of college students. And this was one gifted dude, trust me. And he could have done it. But the problem turns out that this very capable businessman's business went south. And in the meantime, he's been married now twice and divorced and now he's my age and his life got a little bit shattered. Because you see, it's my kingdom first, then your kingdom. But it's never that way. The kingdom of God is here this morning under your nose. The reign of Christ began at his ascension. 
and is at work in the world. Another observation that I have before, before I bring my points is this, that actually what I've discovered about when people finally do retire, and they finally have enough money, they're kind of not at church. You ever notice that? Get to travel a lot, have a lot of freedom. Now, again, I, there's nothing wrong with traveling. This is, not, this is not a Debbie Downer sermon here. Okay? But I'm just trying to set us up, and I'm speaking, especially speaking to us who are believers right now, that profess Christ, that we say the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not my will. But, but it's amazing how when we finally get to places in our life where we have a little bit more freedoms, guess what? The, the freedoms end up destroying our relationship with Christ. Now, are you doing that right now as a believer? Whether you're 20 years old or whether you're 30 years old or you're 40 years old or maybe you're 50 and, man, you're an empty nester. Now I can do all the... I can go travel now. There's nothing wrong with all these wonderful things that God gives us. But Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Right? For, the, for life is more than the food that you eat and the, clo- and the clothes that you wear. Now, you teenagers, I want y'all to think about that. Some of you covenant children, y'all starting to go, wow, is this really true? I'm just really wondering. There's so many ideas, there's so many things that are out there. Oh, let me tell you, you teenagers, the kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God is here. And God is not obligated in any way, you understand, with sinners like us, to reveal himself to us. Under, under no obligation. But what we see here in our text is that Jesus comes and he speaks. And the first thing that he speaks of is the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. And if you read all the gospels, I'll tell you what Jesus talked about. The kingdom of God. And what was so important about all of his healings and all that he did and all the powerful things he did, they were just testimony to his authority to preach uh, the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And so as we look at this, I want us to to see the significance of the gospel of the kingdom. And and then I want us to understand by the the end of the sermon, okay, and not forget the end of it. How about like right now through the sermon? (laughs) You be thinking about where you stand with all this. Because the gospel, the preaching of the word always calls for commitment. Now here's the three things that we'll see before we come to the Lord's table. I want us to notice the kingdom proclamation, what Christ proclaims about the kingdom. And then I want us to look at the kingdom requirement. Why some of you don't hear and why some of you don't see is because you're not, you're not getting it done according to the requirement that Jesus Christ puts before us. And then the last thing I want us to see is the kingdom calling. What does it look like in the life of a person when Christ comes into your life and he calls you to be fishers of men? And women. So the first thing to see is this, the kingdom proclamation. What what does Jesus proclaim? What's the first thing out of his mouth? Well, some time has passed since the prologue that we looked at. John uh, baptized Jesus. He identifies with his people. He goes out into the wilderness to conquer Satan, our great enemy, the deceiver. And so he comes back, he waits upon John's imprisonment. John, who's the last and greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. His ministry is now diminishing. He will eventually lose his head for the kingdom. 
But he said, I must decrease and Christ must increase. So now Christ is on the scene. He goes to Galilee. And the first thing that he does is he preaches the kingdom of God. And what we learn later, and we're going to see this next week, is that everybody that heard him speak said that his teaching is different than the Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, in verse 27, it says, the people were so amazed that each asked the other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? In other words, it wasn't like the sermons they'd ever heard. Matter of fact, it's probably not like most of the sermons you hear in many of the pulpits today. Because what you don't hear is the gospel of the kingdom. What you do hear are the rules and the regulations. Right? The things that you may need to be doing. And if you ever walk out of this church on a Sunday morning and you're not lifted up to see Jesus Christ, but, I'm, but you're feeling bad because you need to do X, Y, and Z, then either you failed to hear or I failed to preach the gospel. Philip Yancey, I know I've told this story before, uh, he grew up in an evangelical church or maybe a fundamentalist church. And he wrote a book later called The Jesus I Never Knew. I, th- I think I've told this story. He grew up in the church and he never heard the gospel. It was a conservative church. It, it talked about the, the, the law and the, believing the Bible and all these things. But he never, he'd never heard the gospel. And, and so he writes this book about that. But in the very first paragraph of, the, of, of, of his book, the, the very first chapter, he tells a story about a woman who was a prostitute. And um, she was starting to get very depressed. Can't imagine why. Uh, but she was realizing that her life was a mess. And, um, and so one of her friends, one of the call girls, suggested, well, you know, there's a church down on the corner. Why, why don't you go to that church? And she looked at her friend and she said, why would I do that? I already feel bad enough about myself as it is. But you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a proclamation. It is the gospel which is good news, the euangelion of the kingdom of God. It's not good advice. We talk about this all the time. I'm telling you, listen, if you're here for the first time, let me tell you what's different about Christianity and the proclamation of Christ is that every religion apart from Christianity tells you what you need to do. It's not a gospel. It's not good news. It's good advice. It is instruction. And I've had people say, hey, I wish we would do a little bit more instruction. I'm thinking, well, we, I think we try to do that. But the, but, but the bottom line is people want steps to so that. But how many in here have ever been able to do the steps? Whatever the steps are. But you see, it's the proclamation of the gospel. Now that word proclamation in the Greek, euangelion, it was actually used, and this is very interesting, you need to understand this. It was actually used uh, by, by soldiers who were sent out after there had been a victory. And so the, they were evangelists. And they would go to the city and they would say, We've won! You're free. 
And so the gospel of the kingdom of God is that God has come into this world in space and time and done for us what we could not do, which is keep the law, keep the commandments. And he set us free. Now, I wish I had time to do this. But uh, if, if, if you really ever study the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul's whole point of the book of Romans is that we need a righteousness that comes from God. There has to be something that comes from God. Because those who don't have the Ten Commandments, you're guilty anyway. And those who do have the Ten Commandments, you don't keep them. But in Romans 3, after he lays the case that everybody in this room, you're guilty before God and your greatest need is that somebody does something for you. We talked about that last week. But you see, the problem that Paul says in Romans is a lot of you don't know that. That's why you've never repented. You've you've heard, you believe the evangelical truth, and you're chucking along with me. I believe everything he said. But it's never changed you. And the reason is, before there's Jesus, there has to be Moses. And before there's Mount Zion in heaven, there has to be Mount Sinai where the law comes and thunders at us that we need somebody to go to Mount Calvary to pay the curse of our sin. And so the question uh, for the Jews at that point was, well, what good is the Ten Commandments? If, if there's a righteousness that comes from God, it's faith in Jesus Christ, then what good is the Ten Commandments? And Paul tells us in Romans 7, he's explaining it to the Jews, the purpose of the Ten Commandments was not so you could be better And it's great instruction, but it is to point you to see that your sin is exceedingly sinful. Now, before I move on to our second point, let me ask you something. Has that happened to you? Because we're going to talk about repentance in the second point. We're going to talk about faith in the first point. But the good news is not good news if you're not in trouble. Right? The good news is, it's good news uh, if you go to a doctor and he says, the bad news is you have cancer, but we can heal you. But, you know, if you have cancer, but you never go to the doctor, you know what? You don't need to hear the good news because you don't know there's bad news. You understand what I'm saying? And so there is no problem. The words of Jesus are so uplifting. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So that's the proclamation. You understand what? It's It's the euangelion. God has broken in history through Jesus Christ. And if you're a sinner today, there's hope for you. Because the law can't save you. And let me tell you this, if you're a skeptic and you're an agnostic, that won't save you either. Your doubts will not save you. Or your your unbelief will not save you. In fact, it'll be your unbelief, whether you're a self-righteous person or an unrighteous person, that will damn you. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So that's the first thing, right? He, he proclaims the kingdom of God. But here's the second thing to see in our text is this. We see the kingdom proclamation, but also the kingdom requirement. We'll see that. I want to read this verse here in just a minute. But Okay, I've, I've stated the gospel, right? Christ has come into the world. He's finished it all. He's come to rescue you. He's come to set you free and to change your life and to give you power over sin, to give you hope and life and to figure out who you are in Jesus Christ 
So that you're not bound by law, but you're bound by love and grace that comes through Jesus Christ, right? And then you go, well, why do people not really respond to that? In fact, the Greek word for the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally, it can be translated, it's, under, it's right under your nose. But have you ever noticed how there are so many people, especially in our culture today, that don't seem to be that, you know, jazzed about it? And you go, well, how would I know if I'm jazzed about it? Well, I mean, I'm going to ask you as believers, I mean, are you fishers of men? Is the realities of, of what Christ has done through the work of the cross and his resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit just changing your marriage, just changing your life, and you don't lie as much as you used to. You don't cheat as much as you used to. Now, God's at work in your life. You go, well, okay, so shouldn't we see people being converted on a regular basis? Well, I think it's because of the requirements. And by the way, listen, gift, uh, we want to see this, but repentance and, gift, and faith is a gift of God. It's not like you go and say, okay, I'm going to try to make myself feel bad. Have you ever tried to do that? That doesn't work. But notice what Jesus says in verse 15. Verse 15 says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what are the requirements? There's two requirements for you to hear the voice of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first one is a word that's very confused today, but it's the word repent. Right? And so maybe you're here for the first time and you're going, okay, here we go, we're going to start uh, making me feel guilty. Repentance has nothing to do ultimately with feeling guilt. The Greek word, and this is very interesting, for repentance is the word metanoia. And it comes from the Greek word meta with and noe, which comes from the, the Greek word uh, noeo or gnosis, to know. It means to be with the one that you know. Literally. But it, it, is, it is with, it, it, so basically it, it ultimately is, is kind of what it's saying is when you are with Christ, when you actually meet him, then all of a sudden you have a complete change of mind about your kingdom and his kingdom. And you begin to burn your kingdom. And you begin to look to him who's uplifted and he takes you in his train. So really, number one, it's just a change of mind. Uh, one of the things we do in apologetics, when I sit down and talk to people downtown and through the years, the 40 years I've been a believer, is I'm always doing apologetics. You know what apologetics is? Apologetics is trying to get people to change their mind. And a lot of times I get people to tell me what they believe. And when they do, I just try to shoot it full of holes. Okay, but, but it's a change of mind. You'll never be a Christian until you change your mind about the, the direction that you're headed. But it's more than just changing your mind. A lot of people go, oh, because that's what it means. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, a lot of you believe that. You've changed your mind and so, said, hey, I believe that. But the second thing that repentance is, I'm going to tell you, it is an apprehension of your sin. Uh, you begin to go, you know, what is wrong with me? Well, what have I done with all these years of my life and my marriage and my relationships? What have I done with my children? 
And you begin to have an apprehension that you might have to give an account for the life that you lived. And one of the, I tell you this just as an aside, one of the hardest things in the world is to get younger people to be apprehensive about anything, is to get them to stop looking at their iPad or their Twitter or their computer. It's just constant movement. It's a curse because you don't have time to think about yourself. And what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? In fact, I would ask this question. When is the last time you have wept over your sin? But when you say that's a sign of repentance, wailing, weeping, what is wrong with me? Versus what is wrong with them? (laughs) Right? So it's an apprehension of sin. But I need to say a little bit more about this because you have to be careful of repentance because because you can have a false view of repentance. And the first false view, view that you can have is that you mistake repentance for sorrow for the consequences of your sin. I guarantee you, a lot of you think that repentance is, is what you're doing right now. Man, I feel bad about myself. Man, I did this wrong. My life's messed up. Man, that's awful. You know what? That's just consequences of your sin. That is not the person that you've sinned against. That is the fact that you know that you've messed your life up. And I mean, how many movies and books have you read about that, right? Here's what Spurgeon says to you today who've never known true repentance that's brought life. He says, I tell thee, sinner, any repentance that keeps thee from believing in Christ is a repentance that needs to be repented of. Any repentance that makes thee think Christ will not save thee goes beyond the the truth and against the truth. And the sooner thou art rid of it, the better. God delivers thee from it, for the repentance that will save thee is quite consistent with faith in Christ. So if all you ever do is feel bad about yourself, you need to repent of your repentance because that's not repentance. That is penance. Penitence. And in your guilt and feeling bad, listen to me, will not atone for your sin. It is the good news of the gospel, of the kingdom. And then one other thing about this re- repentance thing, a false repentance, and you need to hear this if you've kind of been in the reform realm for a long time, and you never feel bad about your sin. You think more about politics than you do about you know, right-wing politics, left-wing, whatever, or whatever it is you think about. There is a repentance that leads to hardness of heart and despair. Right? It doesn't lead, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to despair. And I'm talking to you leaders at the church, elders, deacons. If you're starting to move toward despair and going, man, I'm not the elder I need to be. I'm not the deacon. If you're in women's leadership and you go, I'll not be in women's leadership, you're moving to the fallacy of a hardened heart that goes, I can't change. There's no hope. Have you ever done that? There's no hope for me. Well, let me read Spurgeon one more time. And by the way, for you Baptists that are here, he was a Baptist, one of my favorite guys. A Baptist named Spurgeon and a Lutheran named Luther. So... But here, listen, and I want you to listen to this because you, if your heart has gotten this place, you need the gift of repentance. You need the gift of God to break you. But he says this. 
We have known some seared as, it with, as, it, as with a hot iron burning remorse. They have said, oh, I have done much evil. There's no hope for me. I will not hear the, the word anymore. And if they hear it, it is nothing to them. Their hearts are hard as adamant. If they could once get the thought that God would forgive them, their hearts would actually flow in rivers of repentance. But no, they feel a kind of regret that they did wrong. But yet they go on in it all the same, feeling that there is no hope and that they may as well continue to live as they were want to do and get the pleasures of sin since they cannot, as they think, have the pleasures of grace. Would y'all say that's a scary place to be? Well, that's why we're preaching the gospel. Because the first thing for you to enter the kingdom of God is repentance and say, God, would you give me the gift of repentance? But the second thing that's just as important that they go hand in hand is you must believe the gospel, right? Repent. And believe what? The good news. The good news of the gospel. That you go, I will cast myself upon you, Jesus Christ, because you are the lover of sinners. You know, uh, before I move to the last point, let me, let me say that here, belief, I'm just telling you, belief is not dating Jesus. Belief is not, oh, I believe that about Christ. Oh, I believe this. I believe that. No, belief in Christ, and the word here, pistuo, is when you completely cast yourself upon him wholly. You are married to him. You say, listen, you mean you'll love me? If, if anybody else knew me the way I know me, they would not love me. You will love me. And I'll tell you, if you ever experience that and continue to experience that, it will break your heart and it will give you a love for God's law and obedience and holiness like the law never could. Hey, let me ask you, are you hiding from people? You know you are, don't you? But you know, there's some people, if I tell them things or you tell them things and, and, and you're honest with them, you know what, they would go, you did what? <laughs> right? But guess what? Jesus will never do that. He is the true husband who will take the bride that nobody else will take. So that's the kingdom proclamation, the kingdom requirement. And then the last thing is this, the kingdom calling. If you notice, he preaches the, the gospel, right? And then all of a sudden he starts calling people, doesn't he? Four, in fact. And guess what they do when he calls? What do they do? They follow. You know Why? And I have to be quite candid here. It is only the grace of God that will save you. If you're going, well, I, you know, uh, when I get around to it, I'll believe and I'll repent and I'll believe. No, you won't. You know, when I get around to it, I'll really start serving God and I'll get really busy about God's kingdom. No, you won't. You will not. Because you see, it is God who is sovereign, not you. In fact, I will tell you as a minister of the gospel... If you're not a Christian today, it is because you are dead in your sin. But you know, maybe the reason that God sovereignly brought you, brought you here after all, I mean, He did create you, right? He did put the University of Georgia over there before you ever got here so that you would come here. But 
It's not the sovereign self. It is the sovereign God who perhaps has brought you here today to go, you mean Jesus Christ is for me? But I've had an abortion. Some of you ladies have. And you went, no one would love you. But he'll love you. But I'm a pornographer. I'm a liar. In fact, I've lived my whole life trying to impress people that I'm a spiritual person. I'm somebody that's special. And you know what? And you're not. So Jesus saves both the unrighteous and the self-righteous. He saves all who come to him. But you won't come to him unless he calls you. I've been praying a lot for revival. I want to close on this. I've been praying a lot for revival. And the reason I've been praying for revival is because I think there's just tons of people that are dead in their sin. John, is your preaching going to be able to make them alive? Nope. Uh, Jeff, where are you? Jeff, raise your hand. Jeff, he's a, he's a RUF international minister. Is your preaching going to change international students? Where's Justin Clement? Are you here? You better be. Where are you, Justin? Raise your hand. There you are in the back. <laughs> I'm taking a bunch of your students over my house after church. Justin, can you, th- th- no matter how eloquent your sermon is, can you, can you bring anybody in, in, in RUF to Jesus Christ? No. But God is in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And John promises that there's one who comes after me whose sandal I am not w- able to touch, worthy to touch, will baptize you not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now let me ask you, do you hear the Holy Spirit calling you today? Then I would encourage you to respond to the gospel. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? You say, well, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? I'll tell you what it means. This is what it means. You will follow him because you've heard his voice. And it doesn't matter where it takes you. And I'll tell you, in my 40 years of being a Christian, it's taken me some tough places. But it has not taken me to be burned at the stake. By the way, John the Baptist, did it end well for him? Not in this life, but I, you know, one of these days he's going to get his head put back together and he's going to be raised from the dead. <laughs> because, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist because Christ is beckoning all who come to him. You have a righteousness that you'll never have on your own. Do not delay. And your heart be hardened And a hundred years from now, you're not with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, bless our time as we do the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this visible sign of a a feast to come. I, I pray that everybody in this room would be at the wedding feast. For your kingdom has come. It's under our noses. Lord, would you be merciful and pour out your Holy Spirit this morning. And would you convert men and women that don't know you this morning? Would you convert some of our children? Would you, would you re, reassure those who do know you but have hardened their heart that all they have to do is come, repent, and come and believe the gospel and the love of Jesus will melt their hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen.